Tonight we'll have the, the video on the rapture of the church. Praise God. So be sure and come and see that. It's the last video in this series. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Sister Alma, how's your nephew? Yes. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? Let's give God praise. Hallelujah, Lord. We give you praise, God. You're the healer. Woo! Man, you can't tell me God didn't hear prayer. That's awesome. When they, when they diagnosed him with spinal meningitis, is that right? And then they come back three days later and say it was just a cold. I'm going to tell you what, God can take spinal meningitis and turn it into a cold. He can heal today. He is a healer today. He's a powerful God. Oh, let's give Him praise for that. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Woo. The Bible says, These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And Sister Alma walks in there and just prays. Hey, God heals. <laughs> he heals. Thank you, Lord. And we did pray for him that night as a church. So we believe God is, he's on the throne today. It's awesome. Romans chapter 11 and in verse 1. This is Paul again speaking concerning Israel. This is, I want to tell you, the most important thing for you to understand. I can't, I can't stress the importance of your understanding where Israel fits today. Amen. Because if you do not understand where Israel fits into prophecy, you will be very confused as to your interpretation of the Bible. I recently listened to a man who's probably one of the top speaking theologians in our, of our day, recognized by many, many people. He does not believe that Israel has a place in God's plan. So I want to tell you something today that not everybody believes that, that Israel has anything left uh, for them to accomplish concerning God. So I want to tell you something. We need to understand Bible prophecy because there's a move in our world that is trying to uh, get rid of the nation of Israel. It is anti-Semitism. We have a warning in the scripture against being anti-Jewish and anti-Israeli. And the major uh, speakers of the Bible are teaching uh, that Israel does not have a plan with God any longer. We're going to see what the Bible says. Amen. Romans chapter 11 and verse 1, he says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Here's the answer. God forbid. Everybody say, God forbid. God forbid. He has not cast away his people. He is not through with the nation of Israel. Praise God. That's the answer. For he says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away His people. Again, He says it and reaffirms it. I have not, God says, cast away my people. Hallelujah. Whom He foreknew. Know ye not what the Scripture saith of Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and have torn down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? Now, I like to hear what God has to say, don't you? 
What saith the answer of God unto him? The Bible says, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not attained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath attained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, had they stumbled, that they should fall. God forbid. Let's all say it together. God forbid. <clears throat> but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Oh my, my, my. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your mighty word today. <clears throat> thank you for your people today, God. Thank you for the end times that we live in. And Lord, we look, God, for your soon return, Jesus. We ask you, God, for your divine inspiration, your understanding concerning your word today. We ask you to speak to us as a congregation of people. Hallelujah. Have been brought out of Gentileism, God, into the church of the living God. And we thank you today for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> the nation of Israel is God's elect. As a nation, it is God's elect. As a people, it is God's chosen. They are the chosen people of God as a nation. They had promises given to them that no other nation received. So they are God's people. They are His elect. They are His chosen. The nation of Israel still has a purpose in the mind and plan of God. If you stand up and you preach and you teach that God no longer has anything to do with the nation of Israel and that the church of the living God has replaced them, then you not only are, are two bricks shy of a load, you are shy of a load altogether. Amen? God, listen to me. The majority of the prophetic word yet to be fulfilled pertains or pertains to the nation of Israel. The book of Revelation for the most part, is dealing with the nation of Israel. How can God be through with the nation of Israel when the book of Revelation is talking chapter after chapter after chapter about what God is doing in the nation of Israel? Amen? But there is an anti-Semitic spirit in our world today who would try to throw Israel away and say God is through with them and that the church has replaced Israel. And that the church is going to bring into the kingdom of God before Jesus Christ returns. But I'm going to show you what the Bible teaches us. The scripture tells us that God hath not cast away the people or the nation of Israel. Jesus Christ is the greatest Jew who ever lived. How can I stand up and be anti-Semitic or anti-Jew and claim that I love Jesus Christ when he was the greatest Jew who ever lived? Amen? 
the nation of Israel today. Look at this. The Antichrist, the system of the world. And I've preached to you a few Wednesday nights ago about the system of the world. The Antichrist system of the world who is motivated by the prince of the power of the air. When I talk about the system of the world, I'm talking about the godless system of the world. I'm not talking about the earth itself, the literal earth, but I'm talking about the system, the anti-God system. This anti-God, anti-Christ system of the world is basically in the process, Satan be the master behind it, is trying to establish Europe as the city of peace. Do you understand that? They say they call the city of Rome the Holy Land. You with me so far? That is a lie because there is only one Holy Land and it is the land of Israel. America's not the Holy Land. Russia's not the Holy, Holy Land. Europe's not the Holy Land. Rome's not the Holy Land. It's not the city of peace. But the Antichrist is in the process of manipulating mankind into believing that Europe will be the city of peace. And that Europe is going to be, Rome is going to be the Holy Land. But it's not. That is a counterfeit for the true Holy Land, Israel. And the true city of peace, Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the city of peace. God has said that Israel is the Holy Land. The city of peace is in the Holy Land. And it is through the nation of Israel that peace will come to the world. God is going to work through the nation of Israel to set up what is called the Kingdom Age. Now if you look over here on this chart, the Bible tells us, Deuteronomy 28, 13, that Israel will be the head of all the nations. That when Jesus Christ comes back, He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives in Israel. And he's going to set up his throne in the kingdom. And he will rule through the nation of Israel and in the city of peace, Jerusalem, to establish peace for the whole world. So it is not Europe that is the, the, peace, the city of peace. And it's not the Antichrist who is the prince of peace. He's the one that's going to bring false peace. So there's a system today that hates the nation of Israel because it's trying to counterfeit what God has already said in His Word He will accomplish through Israel. Not through Europe, not through Rome. It's a counterfeit. Do you understand me so far? Israel will be swallowed up. They will join the world system. They will go in and align themselves with Europe. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Europe, right? Okay, the EEC, the European Economic Market. Did you know that people uh, have applications in different countries of the world to join the European Union? Okay. Turkey is one. They've had their application to be a part of the European Union for 12 years, but they have not been accepted. They've been they're in battle against Greece, so they cannot be accepted. What I'm trying to show you is this, that it, each, each country will apply to be a part of the European Union. And eventually Israel will go to Europe for help. Because if you look in the Old Testament, whenever Assyria was giving Israel problems, where did Israel go? They went against the Word of God. See, should not a people seek under their God for help? But Israel turned their back on God... And they went down to Egypt for help. And Egypt betrayed them. 
Egypt is a type of the European Antichrist system. And in the last days, Israel will go to the Antichrist, enter into a covenant with him of, uh, that will promise them peace. But it is a false peace. It is a covenant with hell. It is a covenant with death. So they will seek to be swallowed up in the European Union. You with me so far? They will go down to Egypt for help. But they will be betrayed and the Antichrist will turn on them in the time of the tribulation period. So let's look at this. There's a lot of things about Israel we need to understand. God is not through with them. The Bible says, I say then hath God cast away his people. God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, I'm an example that God hasn't cast away his people. I am a spiritual Jew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. God saved me. I have been made spiritually alive. So I'm an example of people in the nation of Israel who are spiritually alive. Do you know today that there are people in Israel, Jewish people, that are saved, born again, Christians? Do you understand that? There is a remnant today. For the most part, though, that nation of Israel is a godless people. They are some of the most immoral people you will ever come across. Jewish people will trick and manipulate and control things. And they, will, they are immoral people. They are godless people for the most part in Israel today. Are you with me so far? But within that nation, there is a remnant of people who are genuinely born again. And they are called Messianic Jews. Just like today you've got a church... And I explained this to my brother-in-law. You've got a church, a big old circle. It's called professing Christianity. But within that small, that big circle of professing Christians, you have a remnant of people who are genuinely the born-again people of God. Hallelujah. And the lines are going to be drawn, church. Listen to me. I feel the Holy Ghost function right now to tell you. The lines are going to be drawn. There's, no, there's not going to be any more wishy-washy religious things. It's going to be all for Christ or it's going to be all for the world. The lines are being drawn right now. It's going to go into the tribulation period. And people are going to take the mark. And they're going to, put, they're going to drive their stake in the ground. And that stake says, I'm with the world system. And then there's, other, there's people that are going to be saved. They're going to say, I'm going to align myself with Jesus Christ. I'm a part of His church. I'm a part of His kingdom. And they're going to drive their stakes deep. And they're going to lift it up and stand totally committed to God no more wishy-washy things it's going to be all or nothing pretty soon church mm. it's coming down to it right now but within professing church there is a real genuine spirit born again church of the living God and you can't, you can't really there's nothing that will tell you outwardly that that's the church it's an invisible thing it's made up of people who have been born again amen God knows who it is but in the nation of Israel, there are some people who are spiritually alive to God. What, is the na what does Israel mean? Israel means conquered by God. Conquered by God. So there are people who are conquered by God. And they are warriors for God. And God is not through with them. Look at this. The Bible says. Verse 4. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. There came a time in the prophet Elijah's ministry that he began to be so heavy and so downcast. He looked at Israel as a nation, and that nation, for the most part, was in unbelief. 
He preached to them, but they were in unbelief. Amen? Come on, church. Are we alive today? Are you there? Woo! Are you there? I see you, but I can't hear you. Come on. Elijah looked at these people. He preached to them, but they were in unbelief as a nation. So he began there, the Bible tells me in Kings. He began to pray. He began to say, God, I am the only one that is left. I'm the only one. I'm, I'm the one person, a remnant, amongst so many people that are walking in unbelief. I'm it. He felt so lonely. Amen. But then the God answers Elijah. And he says, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. They haven't been swallowed up into the religious system of the world. They haven't, they're not walking in unbelief. But they are totally sold out and committed to me. They are walking spiritually. They are walking holy. They are not bowing their knee to the system of the world. They're not bowing to Baal. They're totally committed. I've got 7,000 of them, Elijah. You, have, you don't see them right now. All you see is all the unbelief. But there's 7,000 scattered throughout the world who have not bowed the knee, who are spiritually alive unto me. Hallelujah. So whenever you get a point in your life, you think, I'm the only one, man. I'm the only one that's on fire for God. My family won't live for God. My friends won't live for God. I feel like I'm the only one. God's going to come back and tell you, I've got a lot more than just you. You just haven't seen Him. There's hundreds and there's thousands of people who have not bowed their knee to Baal, who only bow their knee to God, who are conquered by God. Woo. So He says there's a remnant. There's always been a remnant in Israel. And it goes for the church the same. Verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. We are saved by grace through faith. Not trying to work our way to heaven. The works follow the believer. You don't put works before believing in salvation. Works follow believing in salvation. You with me? Works are the proof that you got something. If you don't have the works, you don't have the faith. But you see, they were trying to put the works before their salvation and trying to work their way to this salvation experience. God said, no, you, you don't get it like that. You are saved by grace, unmerited favor of God, through faith. That means you put your faith in what Jesus Christ has done. And you experience the new birth. And once you've done that, then you begin to walk by faith and live by faith. Everybody is saved by grace through faith. It doesn't matter if you're Japanese, Chinese, Hispanic, European American, whatever. doesn't make any difference. Gentile, Jew, you're all saved by grace through faith. Let me give grace, unmerited favor of God. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve it. But we believe that He provided it for us. And we experience it in our lives. So the same thing has to happen for the Jew. The Jew has to be saved by grace through faith. Not by trying to work their way to heaven. Come on church. Then he says this. Verse 7. What then Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. But the election hath obtained it. And the rest were blinded. Now we're talking about the nation of Israel. There was a group of people in Israel. That experienced salvation. 
Do, can you name some of them? When Jesus came into the world, there was Anna. She was in the temple. She was a prophetess. She was praying and seeking God on a daily basis. And here comes Jesus. And she experiences salvation. Because she's been looking for Jesus to come. She was ready. So there was a, Anna was a remnant who believed that the Messiah was going to come. And she looked for Him. Simeon, that old man in the temple that saw Jesus when he was eight days old being brought to be circumcised. Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the Savior to come. And he saw the salvation of the Lord. And he said, now I can die. Amen? When I find Jesus, when I go to Jesus, I don't say, now I can die. I say, now I can live. But Simeon said, I've seen the consolation of Israel, now I can live. So there was a remnant. There was Paul, there was Peter, there was James, there was John, there was Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, and on and on they go. There were men, Nathaniel, that looked for the Messiah, and they were saved. There was a remnant. But for the most part, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the scribes, those religious leaders were not looking for the Savior. And so they were a part of the nation of Israel. But within that, that remnant of people, Paul was one of them found salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen? And then we go on, he says, According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of, verse 8, the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Why is Israel in the situation they're in today? If Israel was God's chosen people, why do they reject Jesus as the Messiah? Why do they reject Him? They did not believe. The problem was that when Jesus came, they said, we don't want Him. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Savior. But He was indeed the Savior and the Messiah. So Jesus came to His own, and the Bible said, His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. John chapter 1 tells you that. He came to Israel, and Israel didn't receive Him. So now God says, because you have rejected Jesus, you rejected your Messiah, Paul preached Him everywhere he went to the Jew first. The Jews, in the book of Acts, rejected Jesus Christ for the most part. Amen? So now God says, okay, if you're going to reject Jesus, guess what happens when you reject salvation? Guess what happens when you reject Jesus? Blindness comes. And that's the penalty that God allowed to come on the nation of Israel. Can you imagine that a nation who had the covenant promises of God, who wrote the Bible that we have, missed Jesus Christ? Can you imagine that? And they're still missing Him today. For the most part. As a nation. They're back in their land. They're a nation now. But they are in unbelief. How can they miss the Messiah? The one they wrote about. Their prophets came from them. Abraham was the father of the nation. How could they miss? Well, when he came, they just had unbelief. They said, no, we reject it. And so because of their rejection of that word, the re rejection of the message, then God, by penalty, allowed the nation of Israel to be blinded, to go into a slumber, so that when they hear, they can't see. Because when you reject truth, like Israel rejected truth, 
then you become numb to the Word. You become numb to the truth. Hallelujah. And you become blind to it. You can't see it any longer. You, have, you see, when truth comes forward, you have to receive it. You have to believe it. And then God will give you more light and more understanding. But if when you're showed the truth and you slam the door on the truth, then you can't see any more truth. Amen? And no matter how many times we go and show people the truth, they won't see it because they've already rejected it. And because they've already rejected it, God says, I'm going to let you be blind. It's a dangerous thing. Amen? So Israel, because of their unbelief, was blinded by God as a divine penalty from the Lord. Let's look at it. Do y'all understand what I'm getting at here? Okay. He says, he tells us there, the, re, the situation that they're in today is because they rejected it for the most part as a nation. In verse 9, And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Now what this is talking about, the table. Remember all the feasts and festivals that Israel had? Amen. Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Passover, all those feasts that they had, God said, now let their table be turned into a snare. Let all those times of blessing and celebration be turned into a snare. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. Praise the Lord. I don't know if you're getting this or not. See, God will bless you and He'll pour out blessings in your life. But when you turn your back on God, then those blessings become a detriment to you instead of a blessing. Amen? So he says, Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their backs always. Let them become so callous that they cannot see because they've rejected the truth. When you reject, you know what? If I walk over, we got lights available to us, right? Lights are here. The electricity's flowing, but I can walk over here and I can turn it off. Then there's no more light. There's darkness, right? The problem is not that the light is not there. The problem is I've shut the light off. And so Israel, the light came, but Israel shut the light off. And because they shut the light off, God allowed them to be blinded. And now their whole life is full of darkness. And their nation is full of darkness. Hmm, praise the Lord. Somebody say praise the Lord. Lord. Reading on. I say then, have they not stumbled that they should fall? Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Because Israel, listen to this. God didn't cause them to be blinded so they couldn't, couldn't accept the truth and be saved. It was they had already rejected it, so now God, by penalty, allows them to be blind. Amen? But God is so awesome that He can take their rejection of Him and use it to be a blessing to the nations of the world. So that when Paul preaches to an Israelite who says, I don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah... Paul can turn his turn around and walk away from that Israelite and go over to a Gentile and preach the same message and the Gentile says, I believe. And they're saved. And so Paul would go to another synagogue, to another church. 
<laughs> he'd walk in that church, he'd preach Christ. He'd preach Jesus Christ. Amen. That church would close the door on him. Let me tell you something. Not every church would, is accepted, will accept the message. Do you understand that? So Paul walked into church. He had preached the truth. The church would say, don't want the truth. So he would walk out of that Jewish synagogue. He'd walk over to a Gentile church gathering, ecclesia, people. And he would begin to preach to the Gentile assembly. And the Gentiles would say, amen. Praise God. He's the Messiah. And they would get filled with the Holy Ghost. And they would get baptized in Jesus' name. And so because one church rejected the truth, he would go to another church called the Gentiles. And the Gentiles believed and they were born again. Amen? Don't think that everybody that you preach the truth to is going to believe it. Most of them are going to want to stay in their religious systems. But Paul says, okay, you stay in your religious system and you walk in unbelief and you walk in, in your lostness, but I'm going to go find somebody that will believe the message and I'm going to preach it to them because there's somebody out there that will hear the truth and they'll live for God and they'll get sold out for God. They'll walk by faith. It might not be Israel, but it will be a Gentile. So God is so awesome that He says, Hey, there's somebody out there that will hear. Hallelujah. So it was an opportunity for the Gentiles to be saved. Then He says this, writing on. Notice what He says, though. He says, Have they stumbled that they should fall? They stumbled. They have partial blindness. But it is only temporary amen now brother Robert went to a meeting a while back and I believe I'm right on this but he said one guy was getting up there and he was saying basically the same thing that Israel is not in the plan of God is that right brother that God was through with them this don't look to that nation over there don't look at that that uh, that plot of land over there God's through with it the church has replaced it let me tell you that's a lie they are in partial rejection and partial blindness but their fall is not total it is only temporary Come on. So in the process, guess what God's doing? He's finding Hispanic, Japanese, Chinese, European Americans. He's finding all of the, the black race people. He's finding everybody he can. And the message being preached. And they're walking into the kingdom of God. And they're getting born again. Whew. And he's making up a bride called the church. Thank you, Jesus. And the nation of Israel sitting over there as a nation. And the most part are godless. But even within them, a small remnant. Let me look at the Word. The Bible says in verse 11, I say then have they stumbled that they should fall. God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles. To what? To provoke them to jealousy. When the Jewish nation looks at a church that has the power of God. And don't kid yourself, those Jewish people know what the power of God's about. And when they're in unbelief and they see Christians loving Jesus and they see the, the miraculous deliverance that takes place in the, in the people's lives and they see these people getting born again by the Spirit and the water, it, you know what it does? It provokes them to jealousy because they want what the Gentiles have. God is going to allow it to provoke them to jealousy. Amen. God still does that today. That. He does that right in his church. 
Amen. Some person just want to walk with God and want to get, you know, sold out to God. If the power of God gets moving in their life, guess what? And somebody in the church, they're not really, they're not really there yet. Are you with me? But they look up and they see somebody shouting and praising God and the power of God's falling. And they see blessing after blessing after blessing coming in that person's life. You know what? That other person that's sitting over there is saying, Oh, I need what they got. I'm jealous. I'm tired of dead religion. I want power. I want anointing. I want a life. I want praise. I want worship. I'm tired of living in a religious deadness. God still uses it today. He lets the dead so tired of their deadness when they look at the life and power in a person's life and they say, I want what they've got. Have a good brother in the Lord. One lady came to the front. He wasn't born again at the time. Came up, she lifted up her hands, threw up her hands, started speaking in other tongues. This brother in the Lord said, "If I, I just wanted to walk up there and grab a hold of her. I wanted what she had. You see, God's still using that process right now. Hallelujah. And so right now, whenever the nation of Israel sees the blessings of God upon Gentile Christianity, it will provoke them to jealousy, to want what the church has. Whether you realize it or not, God blesses His people. Hallelujah. I said God blesses His people. We all fight battles, every one of us. But I'm here to tell you something. One day with God is better than a thousand days without God. <clears throat> David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Man, if you got to be a doorkeeper out there, if you're a part of God's kingdom, I want to tell you something. you got something to shout about. <clears throat> the devil tries to paint you a picture about the world and says, that world is well, that's really neat. That's really fun. I'm going to tell you something. Friend, one day with Jesus is better than a million without Him. Come on. Your best day in the world can't even be compared with your worst day in God. But the devil wants you to think your, your best day out in the world. Boy, that was really something. Come on, church. My worst day in the kingdom of God is a lot better than my best day in the world. The world system. Do you follow me? The world system. So he said he's going to provoke them to jealousy. How many of y'all believe God blesses his people? If you're not getting the blessings... Then God's going to let somebody come in your life that's He's just blessing the socks off of them. And you're going to say, I want what they got. Come on, church. Amen. Verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. You see, now, because of Israel's rejection of the truth, now Paul has actually been called by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. His ministry is to reach the Gentiles. He's a Jewish man. But he's got a ministry to Gentiles. The heathen. Amen. Somebody say the heathen. And he said, I magnify my ministry. I glorify my ministry. He's not exalting himself, but he's exalting the call. Hallelujah. 
Come on, church. So he says this. If I by any means I may provoke to jealousy them who are my flesh and might save some of them. You know what, Paul? He's, a, he's an apostle born out of due time. The Bible tells us that. You know what that means? He was born before his time. He was an apostle born before his time. Not after, but before his time. Let me share with you what I'm talking about. The 144,000 Jewish, Israel, the Israelite people in the book of Revelation chapter 7 are 144,000 apostle Pauls. He is, listen, Paul is an exact perfect picture of the nation of Israel. And he is using himself as an example. I was in unbelief. Paul was in unbelief. Look at it. Read the first book, part of the book of Acts. He persecuted the church. He was an unbelieving Jew. But God got his attention. He got born again. Now he started preaching the gospel. And I want you to know he went over 12,000 miles land and sea to preach the gospel. He was on fire. How many of y'all believe Paul was on fire? He was on fire with the gospel. He would go from city to city to persecute the church. Now he's going to go from city to city to spread the gospel. So Paul is a miniature nation of Israel. Israel is in unbelief at this present time. But they will be converted. And 144,000 of them, beginning the tribulation period, are going to set this world on fire. And what the church doesn't do now, they will do then. Y'all believe that? God wants to use you and He wants to use me. The Scripture tells us, look at this. For I speak to you Gentiles, as an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy them who are my flesh and might save some of them. He said, I am the example of what the nation of Israel has experienced. I'm the picture. Amen. Come on. And the Bible says, For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? I'm going to read that again. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, Gentiles are going to be saved because they were temporarily rejected and cast aside. Look at that. They are God's covenant chosen people set aside. And because of that, now God is bringing the message of salvation to the, to the nations of the world. What shall be the receiving of them but be but the life from the dead? When God begins to turn the nation of Israel again, and these Israelite people begin to get born again, in the tribulation period, thousands upon thousands of Jewish people will be saved. If they're casting away, allowed the gospel to be preached to you and me, what is God going to do when He begins to save the nation of Israel? How is it going to affect the world? It's going to bless the world untold. Because listen to me, after their conversion, God is going to set up a universal peace, a kingdom age, that there will be peace throughout the world and He will rule through the nation of Israel. So the whole world will experience peace after their salvation. The whole world's going to be in the kingdom age. Think about that. 
Isn't that awesome? So I'm not going to sit, sit over here and say, well, you know, God's through the nation of Israel. He didn't have anything. Hey, God is going to bless the world by dealing with them once again. And after he gets through reconciling them in the tribulation period, bringing them back to him, they recognize that he's the Messiah. Guess what happens? When he comes back, the Old Testament saints are going to be resurrected from the dead. Listen to me. The program that God has with the nation of Israel will bless the world. When he gets through dealing with them in the time of Jacob's trouble, resurrections are going to take place. People are going to come out from the dead and be made alive. So how can God be through with the nation of Israel when it's going to bless the world and through that nation, world peace is going to come, come in and resurrection after their restoration is going to take place. Hallelujah. Y'all get a hold of this? <laughs> This gets a hold of me. I don't know why. But God's Word is awesome. And it says this. Look at it in verse 16. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the fruit be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Now what he's talking about, he's saying, look at this. The nation of Israel is a picture of, of an olive tree. There are three things that God has likened Israel to. The vine, the fig, and the olive. Here they're likened unto the olive. I don't have time to preach that to you, but get Psalm 80. I preached a message on Psalm 80 called the, the olive, the fig, and the vine. And it deals with all those aspects of the nation of Israel. Here they are likened unto an olive branch, an olive tree. And the Bible tells us, let me read it, verse 17, if some of the branches be broken off, who's he talking about? He's talking about unbelieving Israel. He says, unbelieving Israel, they are being broken off and cast away. Listen, if a, if a tree doesn't produce fruit, what is it used for? It's used for fuel of fire. So the Lord says, Israel doesn't produce spiritual fruit, so I'm going to cut their branches off and use them for fire. Y'all with me so far? So because of their unbelief, then God has rejected them in their unbelief and cast them aside. He cut the branches off. All right, y'all with me so far? So we read on, the Bible tells us, He says, and if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, were grafted in. So you've got a good olive tree. You've got the covenant people of God. But because of their unbelief, some of the branches are broken off and cast aside. But then God says, I'm going to take the wild olives. Everybody say, I'm a wild olive. And He's going to take the wild olive, and He's going to graft it into the good tree. Contrary to nature. Because normally you take a good branch and you graft a good branch into a desert tree. And so when you graft it in, then the good branch will produce fruit. But the Lord says, contrary to nature, I'm going to take the wild branch that doesn't produce fruit and I'm going to put it in the good tree. And the wild branch is going to begin to produce fruit. The desert branch is going to become, hallelujah, have the characteristics of God. Isn't that awesome? And that's what God did with me. I was a desert willow, man. I was a desert olive. 
I didn't produce fruit. I was spiritually dead. But God took me and put me in a good tree. Now the tree ultimately is Christ because He's the true Israel. So when I got grafted into Christ, He filled me with the Holy Ghost. Then I started having God-like fruit in my life. Amen? Come on. If I could have seen some of y'all before God got a hold of y'all, my, 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 I don't know what I'd think about you. I mean, listen to me. I see some of y'all after God's got a hold of you and I scratch my head. <laughs> Amen. I wonder, what, yo, know, God, what could you do with that wild one? I'll give it a little time, though, and let, let's see God bring it about. And they become more godly and more holy and all of that. Amen? What you must have been before God got a hold of you. Somebody say amen. amen. But God got a hold of you, put you in, and changed your life. And now you're, you're hallelujah. You've got spiritual fruit. People are seeing changes in your life. You're not what you used to be. You don't act like you used to. You don't talk like you used to. You don't walk like you used to. You don't dress like Don't give up on yourself, though. Hallelujah. So he said he takes us, and he said we're grafted among them, and with them partakers of the root. Now, who's the root? The root of the tree is the patriarchs. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The branches that are broken off are the present-day nation of Israel who are in unbelief. And the wild olive branches that are grafted in and receiving the blessings that God promised to Israel is who? The Gentiles now. Because they are believing by faith Jesus is the Lord. And they're getting blessed. Amen? But look at this. And with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. You are experiencing blessings from God now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But notice something here. The Bible doesn't say that God gets His shovel out, puts it in the earth, and digs up the tree, Israel. Root and all. Does He? If He puts His shovel in the earth, uproots the tree, throws it away, that means Israel has nothing to do with God anymore. That's what some teach. They teach that God has uprooted Israel and thrown them away. But the Bible clearly tells me that although the branches unbelieving Israel is temporarily rejected and cast aside, there's still a root in the ground and that root's going to come back alive in the last days and God's going to bring a spiritual revival to the nation of Israel because there's still a root in the ground. And the church is not the tree that God has stuck back in the hole that he dug Israel out of. We are grafted into. We're a part of the tree. Listen to me. If it wasn't for Israel, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, well, he was a Jew. Salvation is of the Jew. Jesus was the greatest Jew who ever lived. The Scripture came from the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. So he did, I just got into it. I got grafted into it. 
God's not through with the nation of Israel. Reading again. Do y'all understand so far? Verse 18, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. So there's some people today, they boast against Israel. Ah, the nation of Israel, they're just no good and all of that. And God is through with them. They're a part of the church of the living God. But God clearly says, don't stand over there in your conceit and boast against their temporary rejection. Don't stand over there and be anti-Semitic because you're a part of the church of the living God. Don't hate Israel. Don't hate the Jewish nation. Pray for them. Pray that God will open their eyes. And listen to me. There is a promise that comes from God to those who will pray for the nation of Israel. The Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And God says, I will bless them that pray for their peace. Come on. He said, I will bless them that bless you, Abraham. And I will curse them that curse you. You don't mess with that nation. Even though they are in unbelief as the most part, God's not through with them. And you don't mess with them because that's God's chosen elect people. And He's not through. Don't mess with them. Pray for them. Don't stand back in your anti-Semitic conceit and say, now we've got it and they don't. Hallelujah. Now, I wish I had time. But if I, if I could tell you the religious systems that are in opposition against Israel, I'm not going to call them by name. But the religious systems of the world today, for the most part, are against Israel. They are fighting Israel. And as we, I, I haven't had the opportunity to look at these videos, but as we get, get there, I'm going to show you proof of that. Amen. The Bible says this, I'm so glad that He found me. I'm so glad that He brought me out and He grafted me in. Verse 19, Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And they were. The year 70 A.D., listen to me. The year 70 A.D., Titus went into Israel. He burned the city, burned the temple, and scattered the Jewish people. Throughout the world. They no longer had a nation. The fig tree was out of its land. The vineyard, the blessed, the blessed people of God, the vineyard, the vine was out of their land. But 1948, guess what happened? 1917, the Jewish people began to go back home. Amen? Under the Balfour Declaration, the Britons let them go back home. They said, Israel, you can have your land back. Come on, church, you've got to get a hold of this. As a fig tree, as a nation, they were out of their land. But 1917, they began to walk back to their land and say, We've got a land now. And 30 years later, the number of maturity, 1948, May 1948, Israel matured and became a nation. That's a miracle. The fig tree's back in the land. The fig tree's blossoming. It doesn't have fruit on it right now. It's just got green leaves. But God, listen to me, has put them back in their land. That's a miracle. And we've seen it in our century. And they're a nation in their land. But they are in unbelief. But God is going to restore the olive. And He's going to bring them back to life spiritually. 
in the kingdom age. They're going to, whoo, glory to God. Listen, if God has already begun the process and He's already restored them as a nation, He's definitely going to complete the work and give them spiritual life. Are y'all with me still? Are y'all praying for me? You, you know, if you think this is easy, you come up here and you take my place. I'll sit down and listen to you. Hallelujah. But he says this. He said, verse 20. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. The only reason why you're alive and you're saved is because you're standing by faith. The only reason why they've been broken off is because they're in unbelief. Don't get full of pride and conceit. Because if you walk in unbelief, God is going to get His clippers out and... <laughs> Are you with me? If He did it to Israel, He'll do it to us. If we walk in unbelief, we don't have a monopoly on God. He'll do... And He will. Listen, because the further we get into the end times, the church is becoming more apostate. And God's going to clip that apostate church. He's going to take His true bride home. He's going to clip that apostate church. going to begin to deal with the nation of Israel again. Come on, church. Gentiles got an opportunity right now. And the nations of the world, they got an opportunity right now. They better take it. Let's read on. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest He also spare not thee. Behold therefore the goodness, how many of y'all believe God's good? And the severity of God. How, do you, how many of y'all know God is severe? Come on. There's two sides to God. His love, His kindness, His mercy, and His grace. And there's the wrath and judgment of God against unbelief. He said, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Everybody wants to preach about love and all of that kind of stuff. Let me tell you, they need to preach the other side of God too. He is holy and He hates sin. But He paid the price for it. If you'll flee to Him for mercy and grace, you'll find it. Okay? Behold the goodness and the severity of God on them who fail severity. But toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in His goodness. How many of y'all know we got to continue in His goodness? He saved me filled with the Holy Ghost. I baptized in Jesus' name. I'm a child of God. But if I walk out on God and walk in unbelief, then guess what's going to happen? My blessing is going to go. And instead of being blessed by God, I'm going to experience His severity. So He says, continue. Everybody say continue. Continue in that goodness. Because when you stop walking in His goodness, then that's when His severity begins to fall. But you can keep yourself in His goodness. That's the wise thing, isn't it? Isn't it? Somebody say, praise the Lord. Continue in His goodness. This right here, this scripture, is a, throws the unconditional eternal security out the door. Which means this, that you can get saved and live like the devil and still think your home is heaven. No matter what you do, no matter how you live, you can live in sin and still call heaven your home. God said that's not true. You've got to continue in His goodness. You've got to keep walking with God. If you stop walking with God, then you're going to experience His judgment. 
Listen. But if you'll keep yourself in the goodness of God, nothing can pluck you out of His hand. Listen. The only, only one that can pluck you out of God's hands is you. And me. I'm the only one that can pluck myself out of the hand of God. Nobody else can. So as long as I stay in Him and His goodness, I just keep getting blessed. Amen. Glory to God. And they also, if they abide not still, listen, in unbelief shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Let me share something with you. You know how good God is? A person can walk away from his goodness and walk away from him. And as soon as they walk back in the house of God and say, God, forgive me, I've sinned against you. I've rejected you. I've walked away from you. As soon as they walk back in that church and confess, God immediately restores them and fills them with his spirit. Praise the Lord. And they're walking his goodness once again. He's an awesome God. Hallelujah. Israel, as long as you don't stay in unbelief, you'll turn that unbelief around and start believing. I'll take you and what, what I broke off and threw aside temporarily. I'll take it and put it right back where it was again and bless you and pour out my Spirit upon you and you'll be mine, saith the Lord. Come on, that's all God wants you to do and me to do is believe in Him and walk by faith. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. How many of y'all believe God's already won the battle? We just have to walk in the victory. He's already won. That's where the battle is for us. Now look at it. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And we're going to see that. We see that in the book of Revelation. 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes of the nation of Israel. Grafted back in. Preaching the gospel. Amen. Is God through with Israel? Is this boring some of you? It's exciting to me. I take God's word literal. I don't try to spiritualize it. And explain it away. He says this. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted in contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these who the natural branches be grafted into their own olive trees? Mercy, mercy, mercy. Everybody say mercy. Mercy, mercy magnified. God is so awesome. He's so good. If he'll do it for a wild tree, he'll do it for his natural branches. The only thing that's stopping him is unbelief. That's it. That's it. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the, this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness, let's say it together, in part, is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. How long is that blindness going to last? Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. You know what that is? That's when the last Gentile is saved. God's going to call the church home. It is a predetermined number. God knows the number. I don't know the number. 
The Bible, fullness, let's say full. Let's say filled up. That means when the last Gentile comes in, that fills it up. Fullness of the Gentiles. The term fullness of the Gentiles is the last Gentile being saved in the church. The rapture takes place. Amen? Is a predetermined number God knows that I don't know. You know what? The next person that comes in this church that gets filled with the Holy Ghost, gets baptized in Jesus' name, could be the last one. Somewhere in the world, someday, the last Gentile is going to walk into a church, get filled with the Holy Ghost, get baptized in Jesus' name. And when they do, the rapture is going to take place. Now, you, you know where I stand. I'm pre-trib all the way. I'm so pre-trib, we don't eat post-toasties at my house. I'm pre-trib. I don't believe the church is going a day into the Daniel 70th week. Now, this uh, Brother Irvin Baxter is going to maybe speak a little differently on that tonight. That's fine with me. I don't have a problem with that. Amen? I listen to both. I listen to all. I study all. But I'm pre-trib all the way. Somebody say, he's pre-trib. <laughs> now, if you're post-trib, I love you. You're my brother, sister of the Lord. Don't get upset and offended and run out of the church on me. Some of, you don't, some of you don't even know where you are. Don't even know what you are. Don't even know what you believe, but I know what I believe. At least I've taken a stand, a position. If I miss it, fine. I'm going to be ready anyway. If I'm ready for the pre, I'm going to be ready for the mid and the post. So I'm getting ready for the pre. Hallelujah. So Acts 15, 14 says that he's come to take out from among the Gentiles a people for his name's sake. After this. Let's go to Acts 15. Look at it real quickly. <clears throat> Acts 15, 14. Right now, hallelujah, the Gentiles are the ones that are populating the church of the kingdom of God. But God will begin to do with the nation of Israel again after the last Gentile comes into the church. Acts 15, 14. Simeon hath declared how God first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Everybody say, for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophet as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will build again its ruins and will set it up. That's gonna, he's going to begin to deal with the nation of Israel again. He's going to establish the throne of David once again. That's the kingdom age. So I'll say the kingdom age. Alright. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord who doeth all these things. So listen to me. Even after God takes out from among the Gentiles a people for His namesake and the last Gentile is brought into the church then He begins to deal with the nation of Israel. Jeremiah 30 verse 7 calls the tribulation period Jacob's trouble. Then He begins to deal with the nation of Israel and Israel begins to be converted in the tribulation period. In the millennial kingdom in the tribulation period and in the kingdom, millennial kingdom, Zechariah chapter 8 tells us that Gentiles are going to grab hold of one Jew and the Jew is going to lead them up to the presence of God. So even after the rapture and on into the kingdom age, the Jewish people are going to be used by God to bring nations to God. Hallelujah. Okay. So it says, let's go back over to Romans 11 chapter and until the fullness of the Gentiles become in that's how long the blindness will last 
But when the fullness of the Gentiles become in, God's going to begin to deal with the nation of Israel. Now, let me show something to you. Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus. And Genesis chapter 41, the Bible says that his brethren rejected him and sold him. Jesus came to his own. They rejected him and they sold him. Genesis 41 tells you that Joseph married a Gentile bride during the time of his brother's rejection. During the time of the nation of Israel's rejection of their Messiah, God is making up a church called a Gentile bride. He's going to marry that bride. We are, listen, we enter into an, a, a relationship with God called the new birth. Amen. And we get the engagement rings called the Holy Ghost. Amen. But we haven't been married yet. There's going to be what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to see Jesus face to face. And we're going to be married, united with Him forever. And then there's going to be a celebration that follows. But listen. Joseph was married to a Gentile bride during the time of the rejection of his brethren. Listen. Before the seven years of famine began, he had his Gentile bride. And before the seven years of the tribulation began, Jesus will have his Gentile bride. And it is after that seven, during that time, that seven year famine, that Israel goes back up to Egypt. And guess what? Joseph reunites with them. And Jesus is going to come back at the end of the tribulation period. And guess who's going to be waiting for Jesus? The Jewish nation. So there's so much typology. That's why when you preach prophecy, you've got to know from Genesis to Revelation. You've got to know this chapter in Romans. You've got to know everything about prophecy when you deal with basic things. You've got to know typology. You've got to know the feast. Because, listen, look at it. Go with me to Romans 11. When the fullness of the Gentiles become in, then the blindness of Israel is going to be taken away. Exactly like what happened with Joseph. <clears throat> Look at Zechariah 12 with me. Turn to Zechariah. It's, you know what it is? It's my job to teach you the Word of God, okay? <clears throat> that's, that's all my job is. If you disagree with my interpretation, that's fine. But my job is to try to give you understanding the best that I possibly can. <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 12. Look at this. <clears throat> the burden of the word of the Lord for who? Israel. Who? Israel. Israel. This is future. Israel. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. Saith the Lord who stretches forth the heaven. That layeth the foundation of the earth. And formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the peoples round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Now listen, I told you when we first started that Israel will join the European Union. But they will not be accepted by that system. They will become a cup of trembling to the whole world. And they will gather against Israel in a place in the Hebrew tongue called Megiddo. 
Armageddon. And they will go to fight and destroy Israel. That's what we're reading about right here, okay? <clears throat> Look at it. It says, I will make Jerusalem a couple of women and all peoples round about. When they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all peoples. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the nations of the earth be gathered together against it. America, China, Russia, Europe. Every one of them. He said, though all of them be gathered together against Israel. What's he going to do? In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with terror. Look at Revelation 16 and you'll see the battle of Armageddon. Revelation 19. You will see that's when God comes back. And he fights those nations who have aligned themselves against Israel. We don't have time to read it. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with terror and the rider with madness. And I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every ho horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts. Let me see. The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. Amen. Y'all with me? That's talking about the future. Look with me, if you would, in verse... 9 of the same chapter and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem God's not through with them look at verse 11 and at that day shall there be a great morning in Jerusalem as in the morning of Hadrium in the valley of where Megiddo it's talking about the battle of Armageddon. And he's going to come back. And all these nations are going to go and fight against Israel. They hate Israel. Why? Because it's Israel that's the true holy land. It's Israel that has the true city of peace in it. And it is through Israel that God will bring priests to the world. So they hate Israel. So God's going to come back. When he comes back, Revelation 19, he's going to fight as in the day of battle. And he's going to destroy those armies that have gathered against the nation of Israel. We, we are given the very place right there in verse 11. Now, <clears throat> chapter 13. In that day there shall be the fountain open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. In that day, when? When the battle of Armageddon takes place. God's going to come back. In the, in the first part of that chapter, it tells us he's going to pour out his grace, his, the spirit of grace upon Israel. And it tells us right there. In that day that a fountain is going to be opened up for the house of David for cleansing. They're going to be saved from their sin. Now you've got to hold on to that because I'm fixing to read the next part of that Romans 11. When is that going to happen? Alright, it's after the battle of Armageddon. Y'all follow me? Verse 1. <clears throat> now look at it. Verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hand? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friend. They're going to look upon him whom they pierced. They're going to say, Where'd you get the nail scars in your hands? And Jesus is going to say, When I came the first time to my friends, they rejected me. I was a Joseph rejected in soul. They pierced me through. They hung me on a cross. And the Bible says, When they look at Jesus, their Messiah, the Savior that they miss, they're going to weep. Hallelujah. They're going to mourn. And they're going to repent. And God's going to pour out Jesus is going to pour out the spirit of grace and he's going to cleanse them and he's going to forgive them and he's going to establish them in the kingdom age and they're going to be the head and not the tail God's not through with Israel it's future 
Thank you, Jesus. Look at verse 9. I will bring the third part through the fire, and we refine them as silver is refined, and we'll test them as gold is tested. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. Listen, a third of the nation of Israel is going to make it all the way through the tribulation period. Two-thirds of them are going to perish. But God's going to keep a third of them alive. The scripture tells us, verse 5, And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Isaiah. You shall, yea, you shall flee as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all saints with thee. That's the second coming of the Lord. Who's the saints that's coming with him? That means I'm not going to meet him in the air when he comes back the second time. I'm coming back with him. That means I must have departed the earth sometime before and I'm already with him. Because i got to be with him in order to come back with him. I can't go to be with him at the same time I'm coming back with him. Some people say, well, you're going to get caught up. You're going to meet him in the air and then you're going to immediately come back down with him. I respect your interpretation. But if you want to be right, believe me. Amen? Hallelujah. The Bible says this, And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that the living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them, and that's the Mediterranean, and half of them toward the hinder sea, that's the Dead Sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Somebody got to hear me. The, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. That's when the kingdom's going to be set up. It's when the king's back on the earth. The church is not going to bring in the kingdom. He's going to bring the kingdom in. And the Bible says, look at it. He shall be king over all the earth. And look, in that day shall there be, let's say it together, one Jehovah, one Lord, and His name one. Who is Jesus? He's Jehovah God of the Old Testament. Coming back, hallelujah, to set up His earthly kingdom. And what is His name? It's Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one name, one spirit, one church, one Israel. Come on. My, my, my. You can read the kingdom age. It's awesome what happens there in the next few chat verses there but I got to go back to Romans 11 I want to teach you look at so he says verse 25 for I would not brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise and see that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in and so and so all Israel shall be saved as is written there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob I just read it to you in Zechariah when that happens it's when he comes back the second time he fights the battle of Armageddon they look at him they repent he cleanses them forgives them sets up the kingdom age it's when he comes it's the second coming of Jesus not the first the second coming 
For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Now, if I had time, church, I would show you how that the feasts parallel that perfectly. But listen, when Jesus comes back, He is going to fulfill the last feast, which is called the Feast of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. And the nation on the Day of Atonement were forgiven all of their sins. And here He comes back and He cleanses the nation as the high priest of God. And He fulfills the Day of Atonement right there. I'm not worried about how long I'm keeping you. I'm worried about the tape. Brother Bob, you want to get a tape, brother? It's in that closet to the right. Okay, it's a master. But listen to me. Let me run through the feast real quickly. The first feast is called the Feast of Passover. Jesus Christ fulfilled the Feast of Passover on Calvary. He's called the Passover Lamb. The next feast is called the Feast of First Fruits. Three days later, resurrection takes place. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the first fruits from among the dead. With me? Alright, the Feast of Passover... Jesus dies on the cross. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, He's taken down off the cross, placed in the tomb. The Feast of first fruits, He's resurrected from the dead. And then, 40 days later, there is called the Feast of Pentecost. And that's when the church started. And on the day of Pentecost, God poured out His Spirit. And the high priest took two loaves on the Feast of Pentecost. And he presented it before God and he waved it before God. You know why? Because when the Holy Ghost comes on you, you sway, you sway under the power of God. When the power of God comes on you, you just can't sit pretty. When the power of God comes on you, you're going to move. You're going to sway back and forth. Pentecost was fulfilled with the beginning of the church age. Between the Feast of Pentecost... And the Feast of Trumpets, there's a four-month interval. That's where the church age is right now. We're in the four-month interval. The Feast of Trumpets is the harvest. It's a harvest. And there's trumpets that are sounded. Two trumpets are sounded. There's going to be a trumpet that's sounded. The redemption trumpets. The Bible says, The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead of Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. It's okay, brother. It's not quite ready yet. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. I don't know if I'm going to finish this, but two trumpets, rapture of the church and calling of the assembly of the nations of Israel back into their land. Are you with me so far? The feast of trumpets. That's the rapture. We're waiting for the feast of trumpets to take place. We're right in between the day of Pentecost and that four month interval. We're waiting for the trumpet trumpet to sound. And I believe that it will be fulfilled right on the day of atonement, right on the feast of trumpets. The rapture. September, October. Amen? It could be this month. It could be this month. I'm not setting a date. But it could be this month. Because they celebrate the Feast of Trumpets September, October. Now listen. After the Feast of Trumpets. There is the Feast of or what is called the Day of Atonement. That's number six. Not the last one, but number six. The Day of Atonement is fulfilled. When Jesus Christ comes back to the earth and He opens up a fountain for the cleansing of the nation of Israel, they repent and they are cleansed by their high priest. That's when the Day of Atonement is fulfilled. That's Romans 11 right there. Romans 11. You with me so far? And so all Israel shall be saved. It's written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Second coming, Day of Atonement. 
But the last one, the seventh feast, is called the Feast of Tabernacles. Go with me to Zechariah chapter 14. Amen. Is this, is this help blessing anybody? I know I'm going real, real fast here. But Romans 11 has a lot in it. Zechariah 14. Now I'm going to prove it to you. <clears throat> Zechariah 14. The last feast. Verse 12. And this shall be the plague which the Lord shall smite all the peoples that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. Amen. Verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations, the residue, Acts 15, the residue, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of what? Tabernacles. So the last feast, the seventh feast in Leviticus 23 called the Feast of Tabernacles will be fulfilled in the kingdom age. So you see how everything has to fit perfectly in prophecy. Are you with me so far? <sighs> now, let me read on. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. You see, the Israelites, that while being provoked to jealousy, hate the Christian church at this point in unbelief, and they do not believe in Jesus Christ. But they are beloved for the Father's sake. God loves them. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change His mind? He still hasn't changed His mind. If unbelieving Israel today were to say, Jesus is the Messiah, we believe He died for us, we believe He's the Lord, we, and, uh, and go on and get born again, He would save them. Same thing applies to us. God doesn't give you a gift and, and change His mind. Okay? The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He doesn't change His mind. What happens is that you can reject that gift and call. But when you reject that gift, gift and call, you think God changes His mind? Say, well, no, I don't think I should have called them. I don't think I should have gave them that gift. There are men who are called into the ministry that rejected the call. But God never changes His mind. Are you with me? Come on, church. The gifts and calls. So Israel rejected the Messiah because they rejected it. Then they've been set aside temporarily. But God hasn't changed His mind. He wants to save Israel. The Bible says this. For as yet in times past have not believed God, ye have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have the also these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that, that He might have mercy upon all. Now listen. God is so wonderful that if He could show mercy to me, well, then He can turn around and show mercy to somebody else. Because He showed mercy to the Gentiles, He can show mercy to the Israelites. Hallelujah. On the, oh, look at verse 32. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Nobody has ever gone to God and advised him and given him counsel. He knows everything. He don't need my help. <laughs> he don't need my help. 
Amen. Listen to me. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an in vain situation to try to get into politics, government politics and stuff like that, to try to change the world system because it's not going to happen. You know what the church's responsibility is? It's not to lobby for all kinds of crazy things in the world to try to straighten the world out. That's not the call of the church. The call of the church, you can't change the world system. What you have to do, the call of the church is to be a light in this world and reach people in the world system and pull them out of the world system and put them in the system of God. Amen? Are you with me so far? That's why all of these big movements that are taking place, they're, they're trying to establish a visible manifestation of the presence of the church in the world. Forget that. We've got to get people out of the world system into the church, not to try to get the church into the world system. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Or verse 35, or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again. <laughs> praise the Lord. For of him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. I like that verse and I'll close with it. For of him it came from him Hallelujah. You got blessings in your life. You got spiritual blessings, financial blessings, physical blessings, healing in your body. It all came from Him. It all came from Him. It came from Him. And it says, and to Him. Let's say to Him. We like receiving from, but we don't like this other part that says to. Hallelujah. Do you like this part too? To Him. Praise the Lord. From Him, through Him, and to Him, and all are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. We don't give anything to really give anything to God. Hallelujah. God doesn't owe anybody anything. It came from Him. It's to Him. It's for His glory. Hallelujah. Then when I come to church, how can I give him something that he already has? How, amen? How can I give him glory when he is glory? You know how I give him glory? Because I recognize that he is the glorious one and I, I speak it. To him be glory and honor and power and riches and wealth and on and on. Revelation says, I recognize it's all his anyway. Hallelujah. That's why we can't come to church and, and not give Him praise. Because everything that we are, in, in Him we live and move and have our being. Our existence came from Him. Our salvation came from Him. Every blessing you get in life, you, you have a nice house, you have a nice car, it came from Him. He gave you the power to get it. That's what He says in Deuteronomy. Amen. He's an awesome God, isn't He? I'm glad He's not through with the nation of Israel. All of prophecy rides on that. But listen, there's a, there's a world system of religion that's trying to be a counterfeit to what is the real of God. Amen? And that's why they're fighting Israel so desperately and trying to do away with them. Hallelujah. Let's stand, please. Thank you for being patient. And listening here in the Word of God today. Lord Jesus, we just thank you today for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. 
You are the awesome King of kings and Lord of lords. Your name is one. You are one Lord. We thank you, God, for your many, many blessings upon us, God. We know that it came through you. We give you glory today by recognizing that you are glorious. By giving you our lives, by living for you, God. We thank you that you've already defeated the enemy. That you've taken us in our wild natures and our, as wild olive trees and you've grafted us in, God. And you've given us a new nature and filled us with your spirit. What you've done, did for Paul, what you've done for us, you're going to do for Israel. We pray for their peace right now. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Bring them, God, to a knowledge of the truth that you are the Christ of God. Let their eyes be open that they might see that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Keep this church, God. Keep your hand upon each one of us, Lord, that we might fulfill your call that you've given every one of us. You haven't changed your mind. We have a purpose. We have a destiny. You have a plan for us to fulfill. And we thank you today for it, God. We just give you glory. We're a blessed people today, God. You've been so good to us. You've shed abroad your love and your mercy and your grace and your gifts, God. Your compassion. Healed our bodies when they needed healing. Encouraged our souls when we needed encouragement. Blessed our hands, God. Made our enemies to be at peace with us. We thank you, God, that we are your people, that you are a God, that we are called by your name. We don't stand, God, boasting in ourselves, but we boast in the Lord of glory. We are unworthy vessels. By grace, we have favor with you. Lord, we will continue in your goodness. For you have said in your scripture, Oh, taste to see that the Lord, He is good. And we have tasted of your goodness, God. 